The following podcast may be explicit. Shedcast presents Adventures from the Shed, a tabletop RPG podcast. You can find us online at adventuresfromtheshed.com. Welcome to a special podcast of Adventures from the Shed. We got together recently to play a tabletop RPG named Idara, a steampunk renaissance. If you haven't listened to the actual play episodes yet, I encourage you to visit us at adventuresfromtheshed.com or find us on iTunes and experience the fun we had while playing. In this podcast, Mickey, JJ, Kurt, and Joe give our impressions and a short review of Idara based on our actual day of playing. Let's start by hearing the opening introduction from the Idara Core Book. Enjoy the podcast. This is Idara, a place where high fantasy intersects with steampunk gadgetry, a world at the height of its cultural renaissance, where racial and philosophical tensions threaten to tear apart the tenuous peace that was won with generations of devastating war. Guide your character from birth onward using Idara's classless character creation system and explore the world with one of a hundred plus unique character combinations. Grab your friends in a twelve-sided die. Face off against towering ogres, deadly constructs, legendary dragons, and much more. The world of Idara is filled with mystery. Which mysteries will you uncover? Hi, and welcome to the Shed for Adventures from the Shed, where we're going to be wrapping up our special edition of Adventures from the Shed with Idara, a steampunk renaissance. This is a D12 system that was supplied to us by Team Idara for some play sessions in our podcast. We've gone through three play sessions with, before that, a character overview and preview of the system. We're now going to take a few minutes and do our review of the system. Now that we've played for a few hours in a one-shot campaign... We're going to talk about how it went for us. I am Joe. I was the game master for Idara A Steampunk Renaissance. And Mike is not with us. He had to leave early. So as we record this review, it will be the rest of us here who are... Hi, everyone. It's Mickey. I played Hannah in this adventure. She was a human, um, part of the Red Band. She was more of a sniper type character, so more of a ranged attacker. And um, she was kind of interesting. We'll share some more. JJ here playing uh, Frank the Tank. I used the pre-gen character that uh, Team Adara supplied for us. Very grateful for that. Um, human as well, and uh, very, very effective at actually being the tank. I like the it. tank. Yeah. Hey, this is Kurt Schumacher. I played Marshall, the uh, cocky, overconfident gnome with his dragon buddy Spyro. Uh, character was created for me by JJ, which I truly appreciated. Uh, and this was my first time playing in a steampunk universe. So I'm looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, it was cool. I think um, uh, overall we enjoyed it, and we'll give our final vote at the end of this. But we'll, we'll talk a little bit about it. From the GM perspective, I want to make a couple of mentions, as, at least as far as the layout of the book and how things went. Um, I was very grateful that some of the adversaries, or all of the adversaries we used, actually had their information right on the page with them. For example, when we went through our first adventure where we had... Um, I had set up guards 
on the um, on the caravan. Mm-hmm. The guards had their stats and everything they could do right there. Uh, one thing I, I do want to mention is there are some things that just didn't make some sense to me. And I'll use a specific example. In the last session, I had white band paladins. These are from page 220. And under their spells... They have Angelus's Gift, which is a spiritual healing spell, which specifically says it heals a certain amount of uh, health pips. Then right under that, or right under that, is Zone of Shielding, which says it is a, a zone with a radius of ten feet, with the Paladin at the center that has a duration of three, and all uh, allies are standing in the zone are unaffected by status effects. Now. I don't know if status effects means all conditions or like anything. I mean, what's a status effect? I could have used a better explanation on some of the things here. Okay. Uh, I think there's um there's actually a table somewhere in the book about um what status effects there are. It actually yeah. calls it that? Yeah. Because I it could just be my miss, but okay. there was a lot of things that threw me off there. Yeah, you know, poisoned, um paralyzed, stunned, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Okay. I mean, I would throw it out there as a as my general reaction and or critique I mean, this is a very rules heavy and very developed system already even in first edition or beta or wherever wherever this is which is good and bad mm-hmm. um i'm i was absolutely amazed when i got the pdf at the quality of kind of the artwork and generally the layout i wasn't expecting it to be nearly that nice i know there are particular things that we'll talk about in critique but um, there's like, I don't know, 20 or 30 pages on the history of the world and the mythic ages and the gods and the bands. And I mean, it's very thought out, very developed, very interesting. I actually read that and enjoyed it. And if I knew we were going to play this more, I would have enjoyed delving into that and, and remembering it. As it is, we, we're probably not going to right now. So I you know kind of skimmed it. Um, my personality, I, I, I'm not a rules-heavy game guy. So... I got very intimidated and overwhelmed trying to learn this, particularly knowing that we were going to play it as a one-shot. I think it actually played pretty well, and I think that's a testament to JJ kind of spending a little time and saying, look, here's basically what you need to know, and here's what you need to do. But I would have had a very hard time getting there myself. Having said that, I never played 4th edition D&D, and I only played a little bit of Pathfinder. The good parts of this really reminded me of Pathfinder in that if you wanted to delve into this long term, you could make a super customized character. The feats, traits, proficiencies thing, like you could make exactly the character you wanted from this PDF. Right, because it's essentially a classless system. Exactly. You don't have to pick a class. You build what you want your character to do. Exactly. The downside is if you get overwhelmed by math, stats, modifiers, like this is a lot of stuff just like Pathfinder and 4th edition Mm -hmm. is. There were so how many times on almost every attack. So it's my role plus this, plus this, plus this, and what is that, right? So we, I, I know as a group, we're not used to all of those modifiers. Even when we were playing the, the D&D starter set, we were at maybe one or two modifiers, mm-hmm. so it was a lot easier to put the numbers together. Right. Like I could, I, By the end, I was getting very confident with my own calculations, but then I still had to look to JJ and say, what's the buff and what's yeah. the you know, overwhelmed or engaged modifiers? I, find, I personally find that hard to keep track of. Having said that, I'm not a big steampunk guy, but I've been drawn to the aesthetic of it. I've always been intrigued by it. And I could definitely see, I mean, if this is a world you like, I could totally see getting into this. The fact that um, it's a nice change to have um, adversaries or villains or enemies, whatever you want to call it, that are different from kind of the standard D&D Pathfinder tropes. The same thing that might draw you to a shadow run or another, another system that's outside of pure fantasy. I think this could be very, very attractive to a lot of people. Um, 
And I think there's a lot of a lot of stuff to work with here. And there's even some overlap there, like a goblin throwing a fragmentation grenade at you. Exactly. Yeah. There's there's overlap of two worlds right, right in that encounter that we did. Like I don't know if I said it on recording or not, but you know, Mike was next to me with a dude in a steam suit and a huge steam fist, and yeah. I'm there with a dragon, you know, yeah. spitting fire at people. That's very cool. Yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm kind of the same boat as um, Kurt as far as the customization of the characters. Like, uh, it was very fun building it, and it is a daunting task to get into the rules. But honestly, in practice. It wasn't that bad. It reminds me of uh, K-Tan. K-Tan, mm. there's a lot of intricate rules, but in practice, once you get going, it doesn't detract from the game. That's cool. a very good point, and um, I guess that's why I feel the way I feel about it. This was very, very intimidating to me. Like I remember printing out this book and going, <laughs> there's no way. <laughs> and um, I'm fortunate I have a JJ. You know, not everyone has a JJ. So like, he literally had to sit down with me and say, okay, this is your character, gave me some examples in order for me to even start playing this like i just the tip of the iceberg and as someone who's just not really as heavy into games i don't think i would have picked this up on my own if it wasn't for my jj and it's funny that you say you hearkened it to k-tan because that's a game i hate playing k-tan and um it's I play when we have people over because we need another person. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> that's the only but reason it, it, I it's, play. It's it. the Monopoly type character. It's the, it. it's the every man for themselves sort of thing. That Nothing you against the game. It's just one of those things that it's, it's, I'm not really I'm really not that into. You know. But, but that said, you, I still you, you, I had you see a, the similarities. I there, do right? see the similarities now that you mentioned. I mean, I had a good time playing with this group of characters. of this group of characters that we that play with. That works too, yeah. You know? So I, I always have fun playing with this group, but if I were to go to like a game shop somewhere and they were playing this, I don't think I would have I would have joined. And that's that's just me. Yeah. My kind of player. And, and what do you think of like the the world itself, at least as I presented it? The, the, the you know, you have the dwarves, the humans, the gnomes, the dragon, the steam, uh, the, the carriage that, that was being pulled by uh, mechanical horses. And I mean, how does that play out, as, especially as one of the focuses of, of the world itself? Um, it plays out very, very well. Like, um, similar to Kurt, um, steampunk is something that's intriguing. I mean, when we go to cons, I love going to those exhibits and seeing the people dressed up. I love the costumes. I love the idea of it. So to me, I can see myself kind of sitting back and watching a, pe- a group of people who are really into it play this game. Because it would, I could picture it in my head and it's like watching a live action film mm-hmm. of steampunk. So kudos to the writers and the developers of this. They have a very well fleshed out world where someone could just listen to this and it feels like a novel. Yeah, you know? it is very detailed. Very, very detailed. A lot of detailed. specificity within the rules as well. So by that, it's it's amazing. So I could I could see myself watching a group of people play and not being bored. Whereas if you're watching a group of people playing D and D or Pathfinder, it could get a little a little stale, and you'd want to walk away. So, like looking at the game and like considering that this is a first pass or you know whatever it may be, um, I'm impressed at the balance between the characters. Because we have someone from each group, and each one was effective at one thing and not so effective at another. Um, you know, the, the the white band protection paladin, um, is, that's what he was, a paladin, uh, you know, couldn't hit anything to save, <laughs> save his life. But very effective at 
you know, drawing the aggro to him and, you know, protecting his teammates. And, well, you know, Kurt, like, you know, he himself wasn't as effective as his dragon. Um, but the two together, they did the same amount of damage as Hannah when she went, you know, full beast mode. Yeah. Um, and same thing with, you know, um, Mike with the with the knockout punch. Like, that Ooh. was just, you know, really cool. And I like the, the role play of that. And like, I'm very impressed at the balance between the characters. There's no clear, I guess, uh, winner mm-hmm. of the character power creation. That's yeah. very difficult to do. Right? Yeah, it's very Especially difficult Especially in a classless system where there's, there is so much customization. Yeah, you can pick almost anything, right? And, and limiting... You're not that limited. You can pick down different trees, uh, different branches, as it were, right, and uh, end up with different things. Let me ask, in for Kurt, because this was your character, um, when you're thinking, when you're playing the game and you're thinking, wow, I'm a gnome, I've got a shotgun, and I've got a dragon. What, what's going through your head? <laughs> I mean, that's got to be me. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I had to give him, you know, we didn't do a lot of backstory with this because it was a one-shot. But, you, you know, I really had to give him kind of an attitude and a swagger in my mind to see yeah. how to play him. But I actually like that kind of discord. It, I mean, maybe it's not even discord, but kind of that discontinuity, if you will. Um, I think it keeps it interesting. I, mean, I love classic fantasy. I mean, I could play D&D or Dungeon World in a classic setting all day long. But having said that, I'm all... I don't think I'd like to play a pure sci-fi game all the time or a pure steampunk game all the time, but I'm definitely drawn towards elements of them. And so this was really fun because it let me stay rooted in fantasy but with these new and interesting elements because mm-hmm. uh, my personality likes to try new things. And, and you know, if I have a core fantasy love that I can build around while trying other stuff, then that's going to be really fun to me. Cool. So a, uh, a gnome with a shotgun and a dragon buddy. It it worked. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I personally wouldn't have made him a gnome just because I, I, you know, I played a dwarf for a long time. <laughs> so much critique. But, uh, but he was he was pretty cool. I like the idea of him running uh, running havoc over Hannah's brothel there on Friday nights. So. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. You know, he's like the little the little uh, <laughs> the little guy they all love. <laughs> oh, here he goes again. He, he's talented yeah. at what he's talented at. Yeah, the combination of the way things go together, and, and it is it is kind of discordant for me, the, the idea of these things fitting together. So while I'm putting together, or I was putting together the first um, scenario that we went through, which was you guys essentially ambushing a caravan. Well, this caravan has some wagons that are pulled by mechanical horses and have a, a robot driver as well as... A, a steam carriage, which is a, a completely self-contained mechanized unit, and it has a guy sitting uh, or standing at a combat rifle on a swivel while he has a crossbow over his back. I mean, all of these things are like, wow, this is, you know, trying to grasp that all at the same time and thinking that uh, it's a world I've never played in and, and a setting I haven't played in, but trying to set it up. I think they, the, the developers for um, Idara did a decent job of meshing the things together. So I didn't have to look up a completely different rule to shoot a crossbow compared to a combat rifle. I mean, one of the things we talked about offline that would be, you know, if they had the time and the money, clearly beneficial would be if this is going to be a PDF, PDF-based system is hyperlinks in the book. Yeah. It's 282 pages and... 
it's not practical to have to flip back and forth between conditions and, and spells and, you know, equipment. Um, and I don't know how hard that is. I'm not a tech guy. But in a perfect world, hyperlinks in the text would make this much more manageable, especially for kind of a relative noob like me or a guy who doesn't love rules-heavy systems. There's some things that need to be clarified, too. You know, again, if we had studied the book a ton, maybe it would have been clear, but... You know, can you spend, spend prowess points on attack? Well, as I was looking at, through it during the day, I think an attack is a test, and you can spend prowess points on tests, so you could spend them to make an attack that would have missed hit. But that's not crystal clear the first time you read the book. At least it wasn't to me. So there's there are a few things I might flesh out or clarify, and maybe even have, you know, Pathfinder, whether you love it or hate it, their beginner box is incredible, and they do a... Um, a character sheet. It's an annotated character sheet, and it's like... You know, fill in here. This is where you get it. This is the page in the starter set or in the player's handbook where you look. And it just walks you through where the numbers come from. And I feel like Adara, longer term, could benefit from either an executive summary version of the rules mm-hmm. or a very highly annotated character creation sheet. You know, I, I hadn't really thought of that, but that's a good idea. On any system's character um, yeah. sheet, put the page where you get that number from. Yeah. I mean, the beginner box for Pathfinder literally has a bubble that's like, you know, turn to page 14 of the starter set rules and insert your number here. Very, very helpful. Um, Or even just, you know, a one-page or two-page summary of how combat works, which most starter sets do. Um, And maybe they'll have that eventually, but I think if you're going to put out a 300-page book, having a 20-page version or or a five-page version for someone like me, at least to say, let me read this first, have a sense for where we're going before I get into the whole thing. So like a cheat sheet. Exactly. So one thing that um, Wizards did in the, in the latest one is um, give an example of role play, of how to go from role play to you know, rolling the dice play. And um, I think that would have been helpful because you know, having um, the statement that you know, uh, your attack test is equal to modifier plus you know, this, that, and the other is handy. And it, it says that for Oromancy as well, but we had... I still have no idea. I've looked through the rules. I still have no idea whether you have to roll to hit for Oromancy or not. Because it just uh, says if, if they're in the, the area, they you deal damage to them. Uh, on some of the spells, it does say that. And we ran into that. I ran into that with the grenade thing, even. There's, there's a plus two hit for the, the goblin pyromancer with the grenade. So to me, that means you have to roll. Yeah. Well, I mean, otherwise, what's the plus well, nine the, for? The grenade we, we did for but, Mickey at the beginning, where yeah. you know, it was a, it's an engineering using skill. Is that to pull the pin and throw it? Yeah. Like, where, where is the, like, yeah. the, the roll coming from? It may be more than that, right? Yeah, that's the part I don't, I don't get. So like, that's I, part of the examples, and that, to me, that's a great point, because while I was talking with this with Bridget um, over the last couple of days, when I was looking through the rules, like I was looking up, when we get into combat, how is it going to start? So I'm looking up initiative, and I was thinking to myself, and I went back and looked at the D&D Starter Set book, as well as other books I have, like the Pathfinder book, and when it talks about initiative, even though initiative is one of the easiest things, you roll the only die of the system and you add the initiative number. In every other book it says, so using the same group that we've talked about from the beginning, right? So the wizard rolls a 10, adds his initiative, and his is now a 13, and the rogue rolls this and this. And then it says, so based on this, this would go first, this would go second, this would go third. And there's examples of that type of thing in every book. And those examples, I think, are huge. Like you'd say. they have those examples in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a stealth example. They have a couple other examples, but they're they 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 
feel like they're almost like an afterthought. Like they're yeah. just kind of like, ooh, this is kind of muddy. Let's clear it up a little bit. And I feel like they keep on that line, and they have they have something worth selling here for sure yeah, i think an example of a full round of combat with different kinds of creatures and exactly. characters would be a great thing i agree i totally agree i think a, a, a round of combat start to finish where you have a spell caster on both sides and you have some you know a ranged attacker and a melee attacker would be very helpful yeah that'd be cool so maybe people like me would play <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> it's still you know, this is super rule this, this is for right. someone who yeah. wants that type of game um but if you like the universe and you like a rules heavy game Right, I mean, there are plenty of people out there that that are still playing even like the D&D 4th edition or other even more rules-heavy games where they want a condition modifier for when they're intoxicated riding side saddle on a horse through a three-foot deep stream. They want to know exactly what do I have to add and and subtract in order to make that attack roll because the numbers become very important. We've kind of, I mean, with the... The D&D starter set in Dungeon World, we kind of went from a rules medium-ish game to a very rules light game. And as this one shot, we jumped into a a rules uh, descriptive and a rules heavy game. So right. it's kind of unfair to, to, you know, to judge it poorly on that. But it is a, a warning to, a, and, for that matter, and an advocacy for people who love that type right. of number crunching. Right. And the only, I, I would just say, and we've said this before, but... You know, we had approximately a month to look at this, and we all have full-time jobs and families, and, and yeah. we did our best, but this is a serious game, so I'm sure I, I, I didn't do my best. I'll, I'll be honest. Well, yeah. I did my best. I, JJ, I don't have a job or a JJ did an incredible JJ did amount of work best. and helped us, <laughs> yes. but I, I know that we have said things that are inaccurate and where we oh, missed yeah. stuff in the book and where we just got rules wrong, either in the play or in the last half hour, and we apologize for that, and you know to the developers don't hold that against us but yeah. we did the, we did <laughs> what we could yeah. Yeah. and we're, we're really thankful that they sent it to us to play and it was cool and you know we, I, I couldn't I, see playing it again i had yeah. a i had a really fun time like i said i mean once i got the my head wrapped around the rules hmm. it really didn't feel like they hampered the game like i i feel like once i had the rules because the rules are there are a lot of rules but the rules aren't that complex right if that makes any sense uh, i agree that's true i agree that's so, um, and, and I'll give a, a thumbs up. I kind of mentioned it already, but definitely a thumbs up for me for the adversaries section on how well it each individual adversary is laid out for the GM. So I did not have to do book surfing in order to know what each one did. I had confusion based on some terms, but I didn't have to go looking through the book. If there was a spell, the description of what the spell does is right there. I don't have to go find a spell somewhere else in the book. So that's very nice. Um, it actually reminds me some of stat blocks and other systems that are even more comprehensive. So I don't have to go look uh, for like a spell or what have you. Although you did suggest, correct me if I'm wrong, that some guidance on kind of a CR or how much to, how yeah, many, how many a, to put in. That's a good helpful. point, Kurt. Uh, I'll, what it is was, and this is from page 197, building a combat group. Uh, so minor challenge is a small group of abundant adversaries within the party's level range. What's a small group when I have four? I don't know what that means. Is that the four, the same amount, or is it two? Is it 10? I'll tell you guys that the first encounter we went through, we had um, six things that were below your level range and one thing that was your level range. And at any time, well, actually, there was even another one with the turret that was slightly below your level range. At any time, the battle could have gone either way. 
the second uh, the second one was a little more deadly as it started, but then you guys just kind of took over, and that one was gauged even higher than what they uh, consider a difficult challenge in the book. So I think if they gave some numbers, it would help. So instead of saying a small group, give me an idea of what that means, uh, or if uh, it's like a ratio. Uh, right. Players uh, plus one or players right. so times two. To, to counter what you're saying, it's like for the, we, we did the one shot with me. Yep. Um, I the first one was really just me trying to gauge how powerful the PCs were. So I think um, if you're a DM and you're running this game, con, con, you know, consecutively, you're going to know the relative power level of your players, and you're going to know what's going to be a challenge to them. Yep. Um, you just kind of throwing something together blindly, mm. not knowing the. I, I I sent you the characters so you could look at them but and i did and but i mean did you really understand the power level of the characters i I did but what i was struggling with is something that mickey had said early on and i think it was off uh microphone but it was i don't get how if i only have this much health and i can only heal this much how does that economy work and i was kind of struggling that uh, with that in my head too when i look at this and especially looking at mickey's character as as it originally was she had no armor Mm-hmm. And the first bad guys you're coming up against do six damage, and she has twelve health. And I'm like, if she gets shot twice, twice her character's it. done. I, you know, I don't want to start this play session with one dead character. So I'm looking over these things in my head and thinking, well, then clearly I'm not going to shoot at her twice, you know, etc. But uh, you know, to that point, I tweaked as we went. The steam mech that you guys fought at the end had the hit points of the high level one, but the stats of the lower level one. So it would have been dead, you know, three turns earlier if I didn't have the and hit points the, on it. And the last one again, just like wasn't like, when we can gang pile yeah. onto something, it never turns out well for the bad, the big bad boss. Yeah, like I think it would have been better if that boss had had the ability to have two different initiatives. Uh, that could have been interesting. Yeah. If it could have had two different initiatives, that that can counter would have been, and that's something that if you're a DM and you're ha- and you're doing it consecutively, you would know. Okay, this boss needs to have two consecutive initiatives. Yeah. That could be useful. It could be a useful mechanic to even add into a game like this yeah. to allow solo monsters to have multiple initiatives. Because when you, when you have a solo monster and it only gets to act once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, four or five players. Players, is, players are going to it decimate it. Well. it. It it never. It doesn't help that I rolled bad because the damage on that guy, each hit was 10 damage. Right, which is brutal. That's a lot. Right, that's brutal. Nobody can have more than 20 hit points. Whereas, you know, the one where we nearly died, I think everyone was really hurting, was the tons of little goblins that, you know, those rolls equalized the the fact that our defenses were, well, fairly high. Right, Right. that last encounter, even if there had been even one spellcaster off in the corner... Rec, you know, throwing stuff at us would have changed the dynamic. Or like maybe a um, a defense grid. You know, if, I, if, I thought of putting traps in it, but to be honest, part of the reason of wrapping it the way we did was for time to yeah, try and keep it within our recording too, yeah. day. Right, and, and so so again to it are the game's defense. Some of the calls are made simply because we're doing a podcast, not because we we did or didn't care for the game. Right. Um, I guess. Uh, well, you know, anything else you guys want to bring up or you want to wrap this one up? Yeah, we're good. I, so, I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed yeah, it. Say, I will give it say, two thumbs yeah, up. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Make I'd it, give it one and one and a half thumbs up. One and a half thumbs up. How many thumbs do you have? I've got a lot of thumbs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Kurt, what do you think? I mean, I'd say, 
Uh, Kurt just dropped. Sorry, his I just dropped my mic. I would say uh, if you are, and interested, then he picked it up and put it right in front of his mouth. If you are interested in <laughs> steampunk and you don't mind yeah. some rules, not overwhelming rules, but you know more than Dungeon World, more than Fifth yeah. Edition, uh, you should definitely check it out. I mean, I enjoy playing it, um, and I would play it more if I had a group that was enthused about it. Mm-hmm. Cool. And as a GM, I definitely give it a thumbs up for being able to to play efficiently in a combat because of the way the monsters are set up, the adversaries are set up, and I liked the idea of the mashup of the worlds, and it was a lot of fun to play. Absolutely. It's, it's fun to play and it's fun to listen to. Yeah. I think it would be really cool to listen to a group of people who are really into this. Well, I think it would be fun, too, to uh, if you were doing a campaign to get more into the role-playing, because we did very little role-playing today. Yeah, very We like that, but I think you could have a lot of fun with the world and role-playing. I mean, role-playing is always extraneous. I mean, the strength of a system is um, you know, the players, and then the system itself needs to be strong to pre- present those diverse combats. Mm-hmm. You know, so, and I think it does present that diverse combat. You know, the fact that you have, um, you know, just, like I said, the classless system is really, really interesting. It, very it's a it's enticing to me cool i agree so i think overall here we're get we're giving idara a steampunk renaissance thumbs up we're we're happy with the the game day of play that we've had today and we would encourage others to go check them out do just if nothing else do a quick google search for idara a steampunk renaissance then you'll find it um i think right now they're available on drive through rpg so you can check them out there i'm not sure if they'll stay there forever but it's up to them of course and Got a Facebook page. Uh, they they have they right. They yeah. have Facebook and others, and also they are launching another Kickstarter, which will probably be online by the time you hear this. And it is an expansion to the Dara A Steampunk Renaissance. So we definitely would encourage you to go check them out. And we really, really appreciate the opportunity to play it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for thanks y'all. Thanks for listening. Thanks everyone. Hey, thanks. Bye, Bye. Venus. As you can tell from our review, Adventures from the Shed had a blast playing Idara, a steampunk renaissance, and we recommend the game to others. Make sure to check out our actual play episodes at adventuresfromtheshed.com or iTunes. Thanks for joining us. The preceding podcast was brought to you by Shedcast. You can find us online at adventuresfromtheshed.com.